0: Chad, were you a counter at Christmas growing up?
1: A counter? It was in the number of gifts under the tree? Yes, Absolutely. exactly. Chad Absolutely. was a counter.
0: I mean, he didn't have to have a lot of prompting for that. How many of you guys were, were counters? Or maybe, let me ask it this way How many of you are still counters at Christmas, right? They're where you go and you start looking under the tree for your name, right? And you always start with the biggest gifts. Let's just be honest. You start with the biggest gifts, at least when you're a kid, and then you begin to work your way down to the smaller packages. Now it changes when you become an adult, because when you're an adult, you start with the small packages (laughs) because you have learned that some of the best things come in small packages. And you go and you count and you try to size up exactly what your take is going to be at Christmas. Hey, did you know it's almost Christmas, by the way? Have you figured that out because of all of the traffic congestion on gun barrel? Have you, have you tried to, wait a minute, we don't get in traffic anymore at Christmas, we just go on Amazon, Right? Should we have a prayer right now in Thanksgiving to God for Amazon? Can we get an amen for that? Right? Man, what did we do before Amazon came along at, at Christmas time? But it's just another reminder of the holiday season where all of a sudden, whether you're going to the mall or you're getting online, you realize Christmas is on its way. And maybe you've begun to count the gifts. You've got two more weeks left, guys. Two more weeks left to, to count. I appreciate so much our children's ministry and the way in which the young boys and girls helped to prepare our mind for, for Christmas this last week. I hope you were able to come and, and be a part of their telling of the story of, of Jesus. And we had children all up here on, on the stage and they did a fantastic job being able to communicate what is a very, a very simple, but a very Special story. And so I just want to say thanks again for all of those little ones. I want to say thanks to Tessa and to Whitney for their preparation with it. Thanks to, to Mr. Steve. Thanks to uh, Miss Amy for all the work that they do behind the scenes to, to make sure that things like this are able to, to take place. And so I'm sitting out there with you this morning and I'm looking up here at our stage left still decorated from, from last week and I started thinking about days when I used to go, and, and I can remember sitting on the edge of the bed and, and counting in my head the different gifts that, that I had seen. And I can remember when I first learned how to pray, it was during the Christmas season. Oh, you did as well. That's when your prayers really got the deepest, right? Where you began to say, Lord, I have been so good this year. Lord, I thank you for the way in which you have blessed me with righteousness. And I hope that my family has been able to see the way that you have lived through me in such a a beautiful way. I love the story about the young boy that decided he would take his plea at Christmas straight to the man upstairs. He bypassed Santa at the mall. Instead, he sat down on his bed one night and he began to write out his prayer. He said, dear Jesus, I have truly really been a good boy this year. And then he had a, a quick Thought And it rushed through his head and it was his conscience that was really starting to wear on him. And so he took his pencil and he, he marked through that he had really been a good boy this year. And he said, I, I have tried to be a good boy this year. And still the guilty conscience began to speak to him. He took the pencil again and he, and he marked it out and he said said, dear Jesus, I have. And then he just threw down his pencil and he put on his jacket and he ran outside. He ran down the street and there was a, a local Catholic church not too far from his house. He went inside quickly, spent just about five minutes, and then he came rushing back out. He ran back into his house and up to his room and he jumped on his bed. He pulled out again the pencil and paper. Underneath his jacket, he pulled out a statue of Mary and set it on right beside the bed, and he said, "'Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again.'" <laughs> oh, I love that story. Why Mary? Why do you think that if he, if he had the statue of Mary that that would make a difference? Why Mary in just general? Why does Mary become such a central figure whenever we talk about the fact that it's, that it's almost Christmas? She was just a peasant girl. There was nothing necessarily remarkable about her. She was not born into royalty. She was not in any way going to inherit some grand castle. There would be no kingdom that would be her own. Why Mary? She was so poor that when she and Joseph went to offer the required Levitical sacrifice, after having a child, the required sacrifice of being a lamb, they were so poor they were unable to purchase the lamb. And so, instead they would, they would have to purchase birds to offer for the sacrifice. Why Mary? I mean, when you read through the Gospels, her name appears very briefly. In fact, if you were to try to put together all the different things that are said about Mary that are in your Gospel, and then the little bit that might be mentioned in Acts, you would scarcely have enough for any kind of biography. In fact, she is more of a role player. She is in the background. The, the different passages that you find her in don't necessarily focus specifically on her. Why Mary? We don't know about her life before Jesus. We don't know how she raised him. We don't know when or where she died. We just don't know much. And I really think that's how she would have wanted it. Because one thing you discover as you read through the gospel story is that Mary was a woman who Possessed deep within her spirit, a remarkable humility. And she understood it's not about me. Let's pick up reading where we ended off last week. It's in your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to the book of Luke in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke,'ll we'll be in chapter one, and we're going to pick up reading in verse 26. It's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth being her cousin. Elizabeth, the wife of Zachariah, who last week we discovered how that through a a patience that was truly beyond their years and beyond our understanding, with patient expectation, they waited for the promised fulfillment that the Messiah would come from God. And they were rewarded in their patience, finding out that they were going to be a part of the very fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abraham. And it was in the sixth month of her pregnancy that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village that's in Galilee. Now, Nazareth was a small town. It was a very insignificant town. It sat on about only some 10 acres of land had a population of about 300. Half the population would die during childbirth. The other half would only be able to survive probably into their 30s. And so you have this small town, this this area that's only got just a few people. Gabriel probably had to pull it up on Google Maps just to be able to find exactly where it is that he is going to be going. But this is the place that he is being sent to by God. And the angel goes to Mary and says, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think, what, what is the angel meaning by this? I know most of us would, I know most of us would like to receive the favor of God. We like to receive his favor, and we like to think that that we ourselves have been favored by God, but we're not necessarily interested in being humbled. There's a lot of self-help courses that you can take that talk about becoming powerful, talks about becoming successful. But you can't just Google and find the self-help course for humility. I mean, after all, who wants to take that? Who wants to take that course? And so at the end, all of those who are last— can be recognized as being first. But humility, more than any other characteristic, I believe, opens the door to God's favor in our lives. It is humility that begins to, to change the relationship truly that we have with God and the understanding that we have. It is humility that opens the door to God's favor where we begin to say, God, you know what, I need your help. Where we say, God, I've, I've messed up and I can't put all the pieces back together. I, I don't really know how I got to this point, but I am here and I don't really know what it is I need to do next. My marriage is in a million broken pieces, God, but I, I trust that you somehow ha- are the glue that can put things back together. And the relationship that I have with my parents, I think you are the one that can redeem this relationship because I've tried all the things that I know to do, but I am truly out of options. God, I've made mistakes in my past. I'm not proud of them, and I know everyone has given up on me, but God, I believe in you. And I'm willing to take the chance and believe that That you believe in me. See, I think it's this humble spirit that God blesses perhaps more than anything else. And it's the idea that I get just from looking at different passages in Scripture. Consider some of these that'll be on the screen. Proverbs 18 and verse 27. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are are haughty. Again in Proverbs, this time chapter 3 and In verse 34, it says that God mocks the proud mockers, but he shows favor to those who are humble and to the oppressed. Isaiah 66 in verse 2, God says, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. You move into the New Testament, you come to passages like James chapter 4 in verse 10. Where James says, why don't you humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Peter almost mirrors the exact same idea when he says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. But I love this phrase. And at the right time, he will lift you up with honor. Does that remind you from last week? How that Zachariah and Elizabeth have been waiting and waiting all the way until their old age. They've been holding to a promise, even though it seemed that that promise was getting them nowhere. And yet at the right time, the words of the Lord were fulfilled. Again and again, God says, or maybe it would be better to say he promises, just humble yourself. You humble yourself and you allow me to lift you up. The angel would continue in his conversation with Mary and he would repeat the angel 101 message right don't be afraid don't be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and you are going to conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus and he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. And his kingdom will never end. It's almost Christmas. The time that people had waited for. The time that had been prophesied. All of the patient expectation. It was all coming to fruition. And it was going to come to fruition right here in the presence of a nobody that nobody noticed except for God. And Mary says, how can this be? How can this happen? I'm a virgin. I, I don't understand how, how I am going to be able to, to have this promise within me. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So that the baby that is born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Now I have no doubt that since Mary was a little child, she had heard of the prophecies. And she knew about the coming of the promised one, the anointed of God. Perhaps she even knew the words of the prophet Isaiah. She understood that there had always been a remnant, just as we learned last week, that had been able to to keep their faith and to remain confident that what had been promised to Abraham, how that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him and through his descendants, that there was this promise that was coming, and there was a faithful group that was waiting. We don't know exactly the level of her understanding, but we do know the depth of her faith. See, when Gabriel gives Mary the news that she's going to be the mother of Jesus, I I love the way that she responds in verse 38. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. A better translation is actually to say, I am the Lord's slave. We don't like that word. It was not a word that was popular during Mary's day either, and in fact throughout history it's a word that has always carried a negative connotation, and yet that is the exact word in her language that, that she used. You see, she sees herself as someone who is a slave to God, someone who has no rights, someone who has no possessions, but who is completely submitted to God. That is who she saw herself to be. And, And we look at that and we wonder, does she fully understand the statement that she's making? Does she truly grasp what is going to be taking place in her life? And for her to say, you know what? I am the Lord's slave. Whatever you say about me, whatever you have promised, whatever you desire, that is what I want to have happen. You know, I'm sure that Mary was like a lot of teenagers She had probably thought about the life that she was going to have. And she had thought about what was going to happen with her and Joseph and what that relationship was going to look like. And perhaps she had thought about the kids that she would have and the place that they were going to live and the future that they would somehow enjoy together. Not much different than many of the teenagers who were sitting right down here thinking about the future and thinking about what is going to happen in their lives. But now God's calling on her throws all that into doubt. Because who knows what kind of life is going to await her now? And who knows what kind of life is going to await you when you submit yourself fully to God. Submit your life to God and like Abraham, he may ask you to obey and go to a place that you have never seen, that you have never heard of. It says, when Abraham was called to go to the place that he would later receive as his inheritance, that he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. It's a passage that hits close to home to me. Today is 22 years to the day that I began preaching. Over 8,000 days have passed since the first time that I began to get paid to brag on God. And in no way on that first Sunday, December the 10th, 1995, did I know what was going to be coming in the future. What did it mean to, to be a minister? What did it mean to stand before a congregation and to speak the words of the Lord? What did it mean to become involved in others' lives and show them the beauty of the gospel and the healing power of God's grace? What sacrifices would it mean for me and, and for my family? Where would it end up taking us, the, the towns that we would live in, the, the people that we would meet? And yet, all along the journey, where God has guided, God has provided. You've seen it in your life. No matter if it's been for 22 years or for two, you've seen it. Where you have said, I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's slave. And, And Lord, whatever it is that you desire for me, that is what I am going to do. And I don't know where that journey has taken you and and how it has changed your life, the effect that it has had on your family, and the difference that it has made for generations, and the difference that it will make for generations to come. But you, just like I, and just like Mary, has found that where God guides, God provides. Timothy Keller writes, anyone who wants to become a Christian must basically do the same thing as Mary and Abraham before her. Becoming a Christian is not like signing up for a gym. It's it's not like a, a living well program that will help you flourish and realize your potential. Christianity is not another vendor supplying spiritual services that you engage in as long as it meets your needs at a reasonable cost. The Christian faith is not a negotiation. It's a surrender. It means to take your hands off your life. It means... To say, I am the Lord's slave, and may your word to me be fulfilled. Now, when you think about it, Mary has a lot of reasons to be proud, doesn't she? I mean, of all the women in all of history, she has been chosen to bring forth the anointed of God. She is the one that has been chosen as the mother of the Messiah. She could have found pride in that. She could have found pride in the fact that she was going to be raising a perfect kid. I mean, let's just be honest. Is there anything more annoying than the mom who believes that she has raised the perfect kid? Right? You, you all know moms like that. And moms, if you don't, well… Um, But Mary could have put a bumper sticker on the back of her donkey that said, my son walks on water. You know, she could have done that. She could have had one that said, my son created your honor student. You know, my son is the reason for the season. I mean, she could have put any of those right there on the back of the donkey and she's going through town just to celebrate the fact of who she is and what she is going to accomplish. She could have been filled with pride and let everybody know but hers is a spirit of humility. Now down through the years, there have been some Christians who have attempted to help Mary out. They've tried to boost her profile, so to speak. Not really liking the idea that she was God's slave. Instead, there have been those who have, who have given her the title of mediatrix. And that's the idea that she is the mediator between us and God and that when we, we pray to God, we should pray through Mary. But the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. Another title that's been given to her throughout history is the title of co-redemptrix. Sounds impressive, right? Wouldn't that look good on a business card, co-redemptrix? And the idea is that somehow, along with Jesus, Mary is a redeemer. And, and that. She is one who redeems us from our sinfulness. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 that salvation is found in no other name. For there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved except that name of Jesus Christ. Some have gone to refer to her as the queen of heaven. And while I think it is true that honor should be given to this incredible young woman, it would be wrong for us to attribute to her what is reserved for her son and her son alone. You see, as we study through Mary's life in Luke chapter 1, I think it's obvious that how she wants to be remembered and known. She says, I am not a mediatrix, not the co-redemptrix. I'm a slave. I'm simply a humbly, humble servant who magnifies the Lord. And this spirit is on full display as she goes to her cousin Elizabeth. Now now this is something that's really important here within this story because the fact that Elizabeth was going to have a child is used by Gabriel to show Mary why it is that she can believe the promise that this angel is making. Go back in your Bibles and look at verse 34. Mary wonders how Gabriel's words can be true. He begins to explain the role the Holy Spirit's going to have. And then in verse 37, he says, look, even Elizabeth, even Elizabeth, your your cousin, is going to be having a child, the one that no one thought could have a child, and now she is already six months along. For nothing is impossible with God. Elizabeth's pregnancy is going to be proof that Gabriel's words are true. You see, if if Elizabeth is actually pregnant, then it's almost Christmas. And so, look at what she does in verse 39. Mary got ready and hurried to a town. In Judea, the town where Zechariah lived. And she entered the house of Elizabeth. And, And notice what happens. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child lived within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Continues on. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women. And so your child is going to be blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit Me, And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You were blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what He said. Isn't that just simple? The idea that you can be blessed for believing that the Lord will do what He said He would do. By just submitting yourself and saying, Lord, I believe that, that when you say, when I come to you in faith and submit myself to you, when I am, when I am baptized, that, Father, that I know that, that you will do what you promised. Father, I know that when I come and lay my prayers before you, I know when I come and pour out my heart to you, cast all my anxiety on you because you care for me, I know that you will hear, I know that you will answer, I know you will do what you have promised. You see, you read Elizabeth's words here, and you can almost begin to feel the immense moment that's taking place as it's building up inside of both her and and Mary, the idea that it's true. It's really true. All the things that the angel has said, it's all going to be true. It's almost Christmas. And so Mary does what many of you do at the Christmas season. She breaks out in song. And she sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She would continue on from now on all the generations will be called blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation he has performed mighty deeds with his arm he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts he has brought down the rulers from their thrones but he has lifted up the humble he was He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Even as he has said to our fathers, it's building up. Christmas is almost here. The fulfillment is finally going to take place. And so here is Mary, a humble servant. Completely overlooked by everyone, but not overlooked by God. And the song that she begins to sing, you need to look, you need to see it sometime, maybe in your own Bibles, and count how many times she refers to God. On nine different occasions, she uses the word he. Six different times, she will say something along the line of of his. And it's very clear. This song is not about her. This song is about God. Because God... Is the song of Mary's life. It wasn't about her. It never was. It was always about God. Why don't you listen to the song that she sang?
1: My soul magnifies the
0: Was the song of Mary's life? Would you like that to be said about you? People say, "What's your life about?" Just God. But who do you live for? Just God. But where is your purpose? It's in God. God is the song of her life. You see, Christmas is an opportunity to see ourselves in the light of what God has done. It's a reminder of our smallness, It's a reminder of our simpleness. It's a reminder of our sinfulness. It's a reminder of our salvation in in Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that it's not about us. And so we tell the story and we sing the song of God. me close with John Wesley's covenant prayer. I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee and laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine. Do you need to change the focus of your life? If you do, I've got good news. It's almost Christmas. Maybe you need to come while we sing and just believe. Believe in the promise of God and say, Lord, whatever whatever you want for me, is what I will do. Maybe you need to come and be baptized into Christ. Maybe you need to come and just in tears repent. Maybe you need to come and give praise and glory to God. Maybe you need to be lifted up. Will you humble yourself while we stand and sing?